This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. The first reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, starting the 25th verse. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of them, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's troubles is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Proverbs, Proverbs 9, 1 to 18. It begins at verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn... Start again. Did you hear me? Start, start again. Start again, okay. <laughs> Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars... She has slaughtered her animals. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servant girls. She calls from the highest places in the town. You that are simple, turn in here. Come, eat my, of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer wins abuse. Whoever rebukes the wicked gets hurt. A scoffer who is rebuked will only hate you. The wise, when rebuked, will love you. Give instruction to the wise, and they will become wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will gain in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by, by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise... You are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. 
The foolish woman is loud. She is ignorant and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. You who are simple, turn in here. And to those without sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But they do not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name's Tim Escott. It's great to be here to open God's word with you again. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, their precepts, promises, directions, and light. In them may we learn of Christ, grasp his truth, and have grace to follow in his steps. Amen. Well, this is our last look at Proverbs 1 to 9. And in this final chapter, two voices are calling, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And in the end, there are two possible ways to live, wisely or foolishly. There's no middle way. Which way will you go? Life throws out many opportunities. Some turn out better than we could have hoped. A beautiful friendship, a fulfilling job, a successful marriage. But when these opportunities fall through, it's utterly devastating. We all have the opportunity to live according to God's wisdom or not. And the stakes in this opportunity are literally life and death. So which will you choose? You might be someone who's genuinely on the fence. And so this passage speaks to you in a really direct way. Who will you follow? Most of us dislike risk and change, and so it's not easy to commit. But today is a challenge to follow wisdom's way. But on the other hand, I think for many of us, maybe longer-term churchgoers or Christians, and despite what you might think from what I've just said, I think these voices address all of us too, today and every day. As I was preparing, this passage spoke to me in fresh ways too. Am I living out God's wisdom every day from when I wake in every part of my life? And so it's good for all of us to consider whether and how we are living on God's wise path. So to begin with, Lady Wisdom. Remember, Proverbs 9 is a father addressing his son, urging him to follow wisdom. And now we have these final pictures of wisdom and folly personified as these two women representing each <clears throat> And in verse 1, Lady Wisdom has built a strong and luxurious home. A simple home had maybe one or two pillars, but this one is grand. It has an inner courtyard surrounded by seven carved pillars, maybe a bit like the ones that we have here in our building. Solid and strong, and seven connoting completeness and perfection. This is a grand house, spacious and elegant. Everything here is secure and safe. Are you looking for stability and solidity? The house of God's wisdom is where you'll find it. 
It's a solid and stable base for life. And we've seen this come up again and again throughout this series on Proverbs. It's not that life is always easy, but it gives us direction and stability. It enables us to live in line with the deep order of creation. And it's good for you because it's the creator's instruction about the very creation that he made. But it's not only stable, it's also nourishing. In verse 2, this is an enriching and life-giving feast. Wisdom has slaughtered her animals, mixed her wine, set her table. And what a hostess. She's energetic, effective and generous. And she offers meat. This isn't just meat from the packet for $9.99 a kilo. She slaughtered her own animal and butchered it. And this wine, it's not just kind of off-the-shelf cask goon. This is fine wine. It's mixed with gourmet honey and spices, perfect for warming you up on a cold winter's morning. The table set for fine dining with all your favourite trimmings, roast vegetables and gravy. I like pork crackling, but that probably wasn't here. This is luxurious and extravagant. And God's wisdom is enriching and life-giving. Wisdom from God will spiritually fulfill you. It deeply satisfies your soul if you let it. It shows you what's important and what is a waste of time. It pulls you out of the vortices of the pride of life that suck you in and drain you. It connects you with the God who is full of life. And that's why wisdom says that she gives life. Lay aside immaturity, she says, and live. When you eat and drink God's wisdom, you have satisfying life now and eternal life that lasts forever. A deep purpose and joy beyond the ups and downs and busyness of everyday life. And a hope of life that is fully extricated from all the burdens and pains that press in on you now. This is what God's wise way offers you. And so with the feast ready, wisdom sends out her servants with invitations to all. She stands in the highest place in town, directing her maids, making sure that everyone gets the message and that it goes out to everyone, to me, to you today. You that are simple, turn in here, she says. Come, eat my bread, drink my wine that I've mixed, and live. So what do we do? How do we answer her call? How do we get a key to opening the door to enter her warm and secure and nourishing home? Well, in the middle of this chapter, it looks like a bit of an interruption. There is no mention of Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly here in verses 7 to 12. Instead, it looks like a mix of a few random proverbs. But what we find in here are the two keys to responding to wisdom, to answering her call. And the first is this, to listen to God's correction. Verses 7 to 9 are three short proverbs with the same idea. Wise people listen to correction and learn from it, but foolish people refuse to be corrected refuse to admit that they need help. Which one are you? 
The first step, of course, to listening to the call is listening to the call of Jesus on our lives. Seeing his life, death and resurrection for you and hearing his words as he fulfills the wisdom and law of the Old Testament and following him as he calls you, follow me. Are you hearing that instruction, that correction and responding to it? I want to come back to that though because there's another layer here and it's that we be willing to listen and learn from each other as the community of God's people sharing God's wisdom with each other, being willing to be corrected by each other and admit when we're wrong and we need to change. And this is hard. You know, who likes admitting that they're wrong? Who really loves being corrected? Really relishes a good stern rebuke? Arthur does, loves it. <laughs> if you want to be wise... This is the approach to have, being open and teachable with each other. Because the opposite is so easy. When someone tells me I need to change, all defences are up. What do they know? They don't know. They don't really know me. They don't know my situation in life. But the result of not listening like that can be devastating. Refusing to admit that you're wrong can be self-destructive. If you refuse to forgive or be forgiven... There's no hope for your relationships. If you won't let your guard down, it's isolating. Imagine if we were a community that was always open and teachable with each other, but we were people who helped each other grow in wisdom, who confessed our sins to each other and shared our grievances, who spoke honestly with loving and real correction and responded to each other, not with defensiveness, but with openness and a willingness to change out of desire to be more wise. That would be truly countercultural. But the second key to wisdom's house is even more fundamental than listening to correction. And that's in verse 10, and we should all know it by now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And this is where wisdom starts. And remember, fear, it's not about just kind of shaking in our boots and being afraid for our lives. This is a respectful reverence for God that enables us to to respond by living his way. It's actually a lot like faith in the New Testament. It's entrusting ourselves, recognizing God as God and entrusting ourselves to Him. Hearing Jesus call, repenting and trusting. And the fear of the Lord is the foundation that we need because He is the one who is truly wise. And so He's the one who gives us wisdom as a gift. He gives us wisdom in Jesus Christ and He shows us how to live and makes us wise by his spirit. You need this wisdom. A wisdom without the fear of the Lord is like building on a house of sand, as Jesus puts it. Like those homes in Coleroy, when the storm comes, it falls. When I I turned 30 several years ago and decided that I should start playing rugby for the first time, I played a bit of rugby league when I was a teenager uh, and uh, you know I was living on the lower northern beaches and I thought oh, it would be good to kind of get to know some of the locals. 
I'll, uh, good way to keep, meet people and keep fit. The problem was that I simply wasn't prepared. I didn't know the rules and uh, I didn't have the base of training. The first game I sprained my ankle and bruised my shoulder and I think we had a fairly newborn child. Sorry, Naomi, you can't carry that baby round. That went down well. Uh, in my second, no, she was very gracious. In my second game, I came out really sore but relatively unscathed. But in my third game, my hand got stomped on in a scrum and I ended up in hospital with a uh, suspected dissected carotid artery. I got better. <laughs> Playing rugby without the right start, without the right foundation, is foolish. Yep, thanks, Charles. Yep, I'm, I know. Uh, I'm being corrected and I'm being defensive. Okay, trying, trying to be wise without starting with the fear of the Lord, without starting by entrusting yourself to Jesus every day, only leads to disaster. If things are going well, you start to feel, hey, pretty good about yourself. That leads to pride and self-righteousness. And if things go bad, then we just despair at our failure. But starting with the Lord means that we always receive wisdom as a gift. And so when things go well, we have him to thank. And when things go badly, we have him to rest on and to receive his renewal and grace and a fresh start every day. And so those are the keys to living wisely, being corrected, listening to correction from God and fearing the Lord. But what's the alternative? Well, we meet Lady Lady Folly in the last section, verses 13 to 18, and she's the opposite of wisdom. She's loud and obnoxious, and she's ignorant and doesn't even know it. Wisdom wants instruction, but... Foolishness embraces ignorance, refuses correction and won't learn. And see too that folly delights in secret sin. Stolen water, Sarah read this so well, stolen water is sweet, she says, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. These are symbols for secret sin. What we think about and what we do away from prying eyes in private and in secret. And there are two ways that sin can be secret. We, things that we do in the secrecy of our own minds and things that we do that we conceal from others. It's in our mind that we harbour poisonous attitudes and thoughts about others. Being overly critical and judgmental. Deeply held bitterness and grudges that are hidden away that infect our relationships. And harboring and entertaining lusts and covetous desires for his wife or a younger woman, for her husband or a perfect life, for the next purchase that will finally satisfy, but not really. Secret thoughts like this are foolish But somewhat worse are those things that we do but conceal. What you do on your screen when you're alone or who you talk to online. The secret enticing relationship. The money that we hoard instead of giving it to God and to others. And concealing sin is even easier when you're powerful. You can get away with a lot. 
treating your subordinates poorly or rigging the system for yourself or using violence in your family. This might sound shocking, and it is. Anglican Church of Australia just released a report on family violence, and the report found that intimate partner violence was the same or higher amongst the Anglicans surveyed than among the wider population. And uh, the report does say that the samples shouldn't be generalised, but regardless, it should be none of that, none of this among us, ever. And nor should we ever use the church or the Bible as a justification or a veil to cover over our sin. And I should say, victims, you can and should come to us and to the police for help. And we will believe you. Delighting in secret sin is utter folly. If you want to be wise, you need to bring it out into the open. Open up to someone you trust. Personally, I find that so much of the power of sin, of, se- the, of secret sin, is in the secrecy. Once you let someone in, so much of his power is taken away because in Jesus there is always light in the darkness. There's always a way forward. Folly delights in secret sin. But there's also no security or nourishment in folly. She, she offers meagre fare. Instead of fresh meat, it's just some bread. Instead of wine, there's some plain water. Living for things that aren't wise leaves us malnourished, dried up, living in a, and part of a spiritual wasteland. I was speaking the other night with a few men from church over dinner about the the competitiveness and envy that we swim in and bathe our children in. It's so deep in our culture and among us. The drive to be better and better, to beat the guy across the hall or to beat the woman across the road. The relentless push so our kids can be in only the best schools and best careers, as if that they're among the most important things in life. We call it security and nourishment and setting up for the future, but competition and envy is folly. It's not real security. It's never enough. It never satisfies, and in the end it will leave you and your family spiritually depleted. And in the end, the malnourishment of folly leads to a chilling final death in verse 18. You walk through the gates of her house and instead of guests, the dead are there. The Rephaim were the shadowy dead that roamed the underworld. And Sheol, the shadowy place after death, away from God's presence and blessing. This might sound like mythical symbolism, but it's Jesus himself who warns the foolish about the valley of Gehenna outside Jerusalem, where garbage and carcasses were thrown to burn the outer darkness away from God's presence. We don't know exactly what hell will be like, but these images and metaphors tell us that whatever it's like, it's awful. And living a foolish life, not following the wisdom of God by trusting in Jesus Christ and living his way, will take you there. It takes you there now, 
because folly looks so attractive and seductive, party-going and gregarious and cool, but in the end it's bitterly lonely and it will take you there in the world to come. And so this is how Proverbs 1-9 to ends. Folly sits at her door and beckons you in, just as wisdom stands and calls you to follow. And so today, we, you, I, we have a choice to follow wisdom and live or folly and die. And so today, every day, which will you choose? Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.